Welcome to episode 85 of Reactive. I'm Henning and I'm here with Raquel. Hi, everyone. Hello, hello. <laughs> Khalil You're is... alive. Yes, I am, actually. You're alive. I'm so glad to hear yes. you're alive and to hear your voice and, um, you know, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Khalil's really also not time. available today. Uh, <laughs> poor Khalil. <laughs> Had to go to Croatia for oh. vacation. Um, so, you know, poor yeah. thing. Um, and and while on vacation, um, he, he got to see amazingly beautiful sea urchins. Mm. So, um, fun fact, did you know um, that uh, so sea urchins are, are like the, the little porcupiney things? Yeah, there's spiny little spindly things that mm-hmm. uh, hang out in beaches and like shallow water and deep water, or whatever. Um, I actually s- stepped on one as a kid. Oh, that was not a good experience. Um, but uh, but yeah, so sea urchins have spiny shells for protection. Some of the species have poisonous soft spines. Uh, mine were hard spines, not soft. So I'm going to go with maybe I didn't step on a poisonous one. Um, <laughs> they have five sets of quote unquote legs. Uh, that are really tubes that they use to propel themselves across the ocean floor, which I thought was actually really cool. Um, They can grow from three centimeters round to 10 centimeters round. They can live up to 200 years in the wild, although most species only live 30 years. They do not have a discernible face. Uh, They do have a mouth and they have an anus. Uh, A.K.A. butthole, because I wanted to say the word butt on our podcast. Um, where is have, it? Because I know where the mouth is, but where is the butt? <laughs> I don't know. Um, all I know is that they have a very simple digestive system. So mm-hmm. basically, they can easily eliminate what they take in. Um, their diet consists mainly of algae and other easily digestible vegetation. Um, their mouth is at the bottom half of their body, and they scoot around on their quote-unquote legs, eating whatever they come across on the ocean floor. I don't know where their butthole is. That's really... I just said the word butt like so many times. This is so good. Excellent. Uh, What I do think is really, really cool though. So there's the one... There's only one poisonous species and it's called the flower urchin. Um, And it has a really interesting relationship with the clownfish. So clownfish is Nemo, if you remember finding Mm -hmm. Nemo. Yeah. Um, So the spines on the flower urchin contain a paralytic that will paralyze predators. Um, of which otters are the most common uh, natural in their habitat uh, predators. Humans are obviously the worst. Um, but uh, the spines, uh, so the clownfish will build an immunity to the paralytic so that it can feed off the flower urchin. So what it does is it does this like funny little dance where it kind of gently brushes up against the spines of the flower to expose itself just a little bit. Uh, of the poison at a time. And after a few hours of this dance, it can then easily approach the flower urchin and feed off the parasites that live in and around the spines, which then, you know, the removal of those parasites uh, prevents disease and prevents uh, the spines falling out. Uh, so like, cause like the parasites can eat, I guess the spines and then uh, leaves the flower urchin just defenseless. So like, so the clownfish is like, I'm going to not die so I can eat up all the little, you know, baddies that are on your back. And, and the, the, uh, sea urchins kind of like, cool. Uh, don't die. So you can eat all these things off of me. <laughs> That's and, neat. I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah. 
So uh-huh. are some of them edible? I mean, I don't know. That's I guess that's that's a relative term, but I have seen pictures of dishes where they yes. are prepared to be eaten. It is a very it is a uh, a popular sushi dish. Really it's popular hmm. Japanese cuisine. Mm-hmm. Okay, and other other cultures as well, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing tons and tons of them when I was in Greece a um, long time ago, and yeah, one of my buddies stepped on one. That was not fun. Took Uh-oh. us took us most of the day to get him to a doctor and get those removed. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I was in Puerto Rico at the time when I stepped on mine. Um, fun fact: I'm Puerto Rican. My family uh, is from Puerto Rico, um, and uh, I stepped on one. And I remember very vividly going, ah, um, and then my uncle like used a knife to kind of pull out some of the spines, but like I hadn't died yet and I wasn't like having any like convulsions. So they were like, we're just going to leave the last ones in. (laughs) It was like, I think because it's, it's, um, the spines are, you know, uh, biological, right. They're they're Mm -hmm. not like metal or anything like that. My body just absorbed them. Interesting. And so for all I know, I'm part sea urchin now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. All right. But, Interesting. Yeah. So just FYI. In I, case see, I see a superhero s- story coming on there. <laughs> I'm not sure. My husband is a, it works, uh, is, is in nuclear engineering, and uh, oh, okay. he, he let me visit his nuclear reactor. And I was like, so when do I get to become Spider-Man? And he was like... Yeah, hmm, not really sure that's how that works. And I was like, but but we're in a nuclear reactor. I could just, right? And he's like, no. But, so I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, Khalil will be back next week, hopefully. Um, so, must be nice. I need a vacation, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I was out quite a bit now. Um, one, mm-hmm. I can't remember now, several weeks ago was due to the hurricane. Um, we mm-hmm. got super, super lucky here. Um, I was sort of on the on the edge whether to leave or not. Some of our friends left and then, I mean, it went sort of back and forth and then we ended up staying <clears throat> and uh, it turned out okay. Um, so it was actually kind of fun because, um, you know, we had no power, which in general, is not fun, but um, <laughs> it meant that our kids had to actually, they couldn't watch TV or, you know, their iPad batteries only lasted so long. So it was kind of neat. We, we we played, like, board games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it got dark, the day was pretty much over because <laughs> there's no arguing whether we're going to bed or not because it's dark. <laughs> we can't do anything, so. <laughs> So I got some really cute pictures where we have like lanterns, like, you know, LED lanterns on the table and they're having dinner and stuff. And so o- overall it was, it was, uh, it was actually kind of fun. Um, I know there's plenty of people that were not so lucky, um, but for us, unfortunately, unfor- uh, it, it worked out really well. So that's one of the reasons I, I could not participate because I could not have, I did not have internets. So <laughs> I, so there's this, um, there's this thing that at least a few years ago was very popular and it was like, what was it called? It was like, um, where you basically purposely disconnect from all electronics and internet and everything. Um, 
and like you, you check your phone at the door mm-hmm. and it you're just completely disconnected. And like they have like for people who miss typing, they have like, you know, texting people, they have uh, typewriters. <laughs> and then uh, if you miss sending selfies, they have like lots of paper and, and uh, markers and you can like draw a picture of yourself looking at the mirror. Right. Like. Or like you can send other pictures, like you can draw things, and then there's like there's like live music and board games and arts and crafts and a massage table and like it was just it was just really silly. Um, if you wanted to call someone, they had a couple of rotary phones, <laughs> so you could like get the feel of the dialing just to kind of like get yourself over it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but yeah, it but was think- kind of it's like a it, you're you're right. I mean, I guess what yeah. you're getting at it's sort of like a, a electronics or media detox. Uh- that's it. Game, That's what right. it was called. Yeah. It was called Digital Detox. Oh, really? Thank you. That's exactly what it was called. I don't know if they're, if, if it's as popular now as it was a few years ago, but uh, I just remember going to one in San Francisco and like not lasting 45 minutes. I was like, I can't. I can't do this. I need I need my phone. I'm out. Yeah. No, it was, it was nice. I mean, we had – I was prepared. We had everything, you know, ready and, and we did some – basically it was camping at the house for like – Four days, um, and you know, I, I I made coffee in the morning on a on a in a propane burner, and so we had a little camping thing going. So it was it was it was actually kind of fun, mm-hmm. um, but um, of course that caused like a lot of um, sort of turmoil at work because that doesn't stop and that can't stop. So we had people like across the uh, lower states in in various positions that could still you know access things and restart services that failed etc <clears throat> so um, but then again you know work got backed up etc because the, the office was basically shut down for pretty much a week um, wow because the so I, I said you know we got really lucky and one of the reasons for that is we live in a fairly new house and the neighborhood that we're in is basically kind of treeless which to me kind of is sad and sucks but in this particular case it was yeah. a very good thing because we had nothing to fall on our house and nothing to block the roads whereas mm-hmm. the center of the town was very much not like that um so that's where where our office is and there was down trees everywhere power lines hanging in the roads and even when you know one day i was um i just wanted to get like chicken nuggets for the little one because that's her favorite thing. So I knew there was power at the office. So I grabbed her, put her in the car and I drove there to go use the microwave at the office. <laughs> Cause it's like, it's, you know, it's four minutes away. So, um, but to get there was not easy. The roads were closed, uh, in, in, in one section of town because, because mm-hmm. of flooding and downed, uh, downed trees. So I had to go to the back roads and there was basically zigzagging, you know, across the the lanes, but not because there was trees down, but because the power lines had like stretched and, and, you know, masts had tilted, not completely fallen. So there's like power lines hanging down as far as you could like grab them. So you had to zigzag through that and downed trees to get to, to the office. So it's quite an adventure. And then some of our, our friends did have like trees fall on their house and stuff. So that was not fun, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, and then we had had another one that hit Puerto Rico really bad. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or you have family there. No. So the uns- yeah, like a whole bunch of my family is there and I haven't had a chance to talk to any of them directly, but fortunately there's enough of a network of cousins, et cetera, who are still in the United States uh, or who, who have moved to the U S um, and they're able to, to, you know, call up or they have been in contact mm-hmm. uh, with their parents and siblings. And so I'm able to find out if my, uh, aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody are, are still okay. Um, so for the most part, people are okay, though um, that was really more in the earlier days. Now things are just starting to get kind of ridiculous because there's still no power, no water. Um, gas lines are starting to go down. And in, in in the mean, what, what I mean by that is people line up for gas because there's no gasoline um, and it's an island, right? And so everybody's just kind of like, um, it, it's not great there. I'll be honest. Like there's people are in need of medical help and there's no medicine. There's, uh, without any electricity there, there's no ATMs. So like banks are running out of money because there's just like people have to go into a bank to say, I would like to remove money from my account, but like there's no more money coming back in, you know? So there's, it's really difficult to kind of have that exchange of money, we're so used to, at least I am so used to in the United States, like not even having to deal with cash, right? I like, yeah. I'm like, I don't even like cash. I hate it. Like I had seven dollars in my pocket yesterday, and I was, I just turned to my husband. I was like, Do you want seven bucks? Because I don't, <laughs> I don't like know what to do with this. Yeah, I just prefer I, I to feeling. use Apple Pay if I can, you know. And so, like, just that that alone just kind of strikes fear into me, like the mm-hmm. idea of what do you do if you can't use a credit card? Like, what do you do if you can't? If you don't even have your ATM card, like you can't use your ATM card to get cash. And like, yep. that's like, you know, and like, so food is, is hard to come by. Like, I mean, there's some food and, and it's Puerto Rico. So living off of uh, rice and beans is, is totally doable. <laughs> it's not recommended for your entire life, but I mean, that's a staple. So yeah. um, that's pretty easy, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to try not to get too political here, but it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's shenanigans. <laughs> there's some serious shenanigans going on right now and I'm not okay with it. And there's a huge part of me that like the other day I was like, why can't helicopters, like why, why are there no helicopters happening right now? You know, mm-hmm. like there were, there are stories, there are reports of um, like thousands of container ships just sitting in the port of San Juan. San Juan's the cop- the capital of Puerto Rico. And they have medicine and food and water and gasoline. Like it's all in there, but they're stuck because there aren't truck drivers um, who can like the roads are so crap that uh, like, they're just, just such a mess that people who are truck drivers can't even make it to the port to be able to drive it back. And even if they had, if they were able to do that, there's no gasoline. So it's just like this, it's just a logistical nightmare. Um, But, uh, but I did hear an amazing story the other day about, um, so Tesla recently, or like just before the hurricane were just as, you know, some months or something um, had a bunch of Tesla's, uh, like they're trying to sell Teslas in Puerto Rico. And so they have a bunch of the batteries and things like that. Um, and so the engineers quietly, they didn't like do a huge thing, but they very quietly 
disassembled a bunch of the cars and used the batteries as backup batteries um, and put them throughout the island, which I think is just, if I didn't want a Tesla before, I really want one now, you know, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) that is such a brilliant use of technology. Um, And like they're, I mean, because uh, Tesla uh, is owned um, by the same group of people who also do but just solar energy type stuff. They're like using solar power to recharge the battery. It's like there's just this whole like using technology for good. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. And that, that's actually really interesting you bring that up because my wife and I had that conversation is that when we buy a house, that is one thing that we're going to do. We're going to put a Tesla roof on it get the, you know, the battery packs in the garage. I can't remember what they're called, but then... You know, you're basically completely off the grid. (laughs) I don't care about a hurricane and power outages. And um, we're good to go, you know. And then if if you had a a Tesla, if you can afford one, then uh, (laughs) you could charge that as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, like, there's just, um, you know, I I love thinking about using technology for good and, and, and reusing technology that had one purpose and using it for something else. I think it's just so smart. Mm-hmm. And um, it's done in a really, I think, I don't know, it's it's everything that, yeah, the cars are, are you know, they look great, they, they seem to, they work great, they have really, you know, good track records as far as quality, etc. And then the <laughs> roof technology, I find absolutely fascinating. There's like, it comes in four different, it's not like, you know, around here at least, um, a lot of the houses have like these tar... Um, tiles basically they're just very flexible and they they're nailed onto the roof you have to replace them every so often and Mm -hmm. then you know there's the the step up is of course to do ceramic or something similar and these these you know the tesla roof essentially is is higher quality uh Mm -hmm. roof tiles and they come in four different um variations and colors etc but basically the solar panels are built into the roof tile there's not a, you know, yeah. anything sitting on top of it so depending on the capacity you need for your house you basically have a bunch of empty tiles um that just you know are there they look this oh they all look the same but some mm-hmm. of them are actually you know active i would call it i guess and some are not uh, it's depending mm-hmm. on what how much juice you need so right I mean, really really cool you know so and then finally at a price point where it, it's actually attainable you know mm-hmm. so yeah yeah for that. sure yeah so it's pretty it's pretty awesome um yeah so it, it's oh i just i wish that there were technological ways that we could you know move product yeah. <laughs> from the port of san juan throughout the island and it's like the obvious thing is well when you don't have cars and don't have roads you could use a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to be fair, there are mountains in the middle of the island, so that part is treacherous. But, I mean, it's still better than nothing. Um, and, um, yeah, I will ease off on my political leanings for yeah. the moment. Well, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, just, just, it's, it's just shenanigans. It's, shenanigans. Yeah, okay. You put it nicely. I would have used a different word. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, I, if I start, I won't stop. I know. I know. Okay, and, let's move on. You know. Anyway, yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, there's so much crap going on this week. So <laughs> let's, let's maybe focus on, on something more positive. Yeah. So fun news. Um, NPM released two-factor authentication today. Oh. 
which is very exciting. Um, so now when you log in, um, you can create a one time, like, so you can, you can enable two factor off with, um, via the, so you have to, when this episode is published, uh, people will need to use NPM at next. So it's kind of like the, the pre-release version. Um, but it'll it'll become live in a in a couple of uh, in a week or so um, or two, um, which is great. But basically, you can use npm profile um, to kind of take a look at what like you know you, you can now update your email address and your password and all that good stuff using npm profile. Um, and then you can also enable two factor auth only on the command line right now. Um, but if you enable it, then uh, when you log in to the CLI, log into the website, or publish a package, then you can um, you can basically use a one-time password um, to you know make sure that everything is secure. Um, so we're really upping the security story for folks. And so if you are a module publisher, especially if it's a big module, um, definitely, definitely turn this on. Uh, it'll it'll reduce the ability for uh, people to hack into your accounts and you know publish bad bad things. So definitely do that. Very cool. Yeah. So for them, so, so someone just logging into like I have an account, I can mm-hmm. I can upload modules. The the two factor auth is that something then that gets uh, sent to the phone or is it on the um, one of those apps that generates the codes or how does that work? Yeah, it's it's one of the apps that generates the code. Okay. So like when you turn it on on the on the CLI, you'll get a QR code okay. and then you'll have to use some authentication app, whether it's Google Authenticator or mm-hmm. Authy or whatever. I personally prefer. I personally use Authy. I, mm-hmm. It's really great. Um, and uh, and yeah, so you'll just use that, and then you'll get a one-time password every time um, it asks for things. And um, and it's it's not perfect yet, but it's it's certainly getting there. Um, there will like future improvements will include the ability to turn on um, to require two-factor auth for publishing a given module. So let's say you are um, a maintainer of Express, and there's like three or four people who maintain Express, you can turn it on for Express so that every single person who publishes has to um, has to have one uh, a one-time password. So that everybody has to have two-factor authentication, um, which is pretty pretty awesome. Um, awesome. Another, another feature will be um, the ability to limit which IPs. So you can say like, um, this range of IPs are allowed to publish and nobody else to kind of limit who in the world can like, so that you don't accidentally like somebody doesn't try to pretend that they're you and, um, but they're actually in a completely different country or something. Um, so yeah, there's like a lot of like, we're really, really thinking about security and really trying to up our game on that. And, uh, so that's really exciting. That is impressive. And, I mean, wow! Yeah. I'd, even going to those lengths to to limit the IP. Um, yeah, I, I'm just it's, thinking of my my head of IT. <laughs> he's yeah. probably like awesome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he's like you. Yeah. You need to be careful with npm packages. <laughs> so, you know, like, <laughs> right, for sure, uh, for sure. And we're already getting. Um, it was just launched today uh, as a recording of this of this podcast. So. Um, uh, yeah, so that, that's pretty exciting. And 
already people are coming in with like, wait, wait, can we have this feature? Can we have this feature? We're like, oh my God, hold on. <laughs> hold your horses. We get it. You love this. You want more. We're working on it. Yeah. Uh, reminder, we are less than 30 people total at NPM, half of which is engineering. <laughs> there are many more of you than there are of us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Wow. Yeah. So nice. super cool. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, yeah. What what's what what fun fun cool things are happening in your world? Well, um I was um well, how do I put this? We 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 had some issues with our uh, ERP system, which is a SaaS um uh, you know, software as a service, and they um every time they roll out an update, um it's a little well, considering the complexity of the system and what is involved in doing that, I am in awe that it goes as well as it does. But every time I've experienced this or I've been part of this, there is something that has turned really kind of um, our work into a, uh, well, painful, let's put it that way. So one thing that they changed now was the, um, the way that they rate limit or allow users to access the API. Uh, so they changed the governance model around how users that are logged in are allowed to make requests to the API. And it's completely understandable from a business standpoint is you don't want to have any user or any valid user make as many concurrent requests as they want to because, you know, you have to have performance guarantees, etc. So that would be a mm -hmm. bad thing. <clears throat> but the rule was up until now is basically that every user can have one concurrent, you know, HTTP request or SOAP request um, going at a time. So what we had done is we built like this, um, basically a, our own sort of governance system around that. We had a, a set of credentials that was basically round robined in our in our gateway to to the ERP. And we just, you know, when we needed more, we added more credentials to it, and we were fine. But during this upgrade process, something wasn't quite right. And we were getting concurrency errors constantly. And, you know, our business didn't slow down. So we were just, you know, our systems were dying all the time. And there's nothing we could do about it. And the weird thing is, and this is why I'm sort of getting at this, is like I have sort of the mentality to to look at my code first and put sort of assume that it's my fault and, and sort of rule mm -hmm. that out. But in, in this case, it turned out that it wasn't ours. And, you know, I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much time trying to like prove that it either was or was not me and simply, you know, okay, we didn't change that much or, or anything and things are all of a sudden not working. And obviously they had an update, so it must mm -hmm. be their system. So it, it sort of taught me a, a, a sort of a new lesson in, in debugging, you know, it's like mm -hmm. step away and think a little, you know, bigger picture and think of what's happening and don't like get lost in, in your own <clears throat> little world and uh, waste a bunch of time. So mm -hmm. it all calmed down in the last few days, which was great. Um, and sort of led to some, some improvements in our, in our gateway. So I've actually been tinkering and writing some sort of proof of concept type code, which was really, really fun. Um, and this is where I have sort of a question for you, I guess. So basically this, this ERP, it's NetSuite. It's, it's an incredibly complex system. Uh, it, you can talk to it via SOAP API, which um, 
I know is probably scary and yucky to a lot of people. Um, you can't see me wrinkling my nose <laughs> right now, but it's totally happening. I'm like, mm. you know, okay. I, I agree with that, and and I it's, I can't really say I enjoy it, but I, I do have to say that it is incredibly powerful and flexible. But it mm-hmm. also, because of that, is extraordinarily complex. It's like mm-hmm. building queries to talk to this thing is is insane, and in it's not just because it's complicated because it's soap, but it's because you're basically, you know, you have to have so much domain knowledge and, and knowledge about what happens inside the system that then involves like accounting and, you know, um, supply chain stuff. And you need to know like way more than just computer science. You have to, you have to become sort of knowledgeable in accounting procedures, right? Because if you're, mm-hmm. if you're doing certain things that have impact on that, you need to understand what's going on, et cetera. So it's it's really really interesting because there's so many things involved but of course it's also challenging. So what we've set out to do is basically build this gateway in front of uh our ERP system because we basically use the the API in a very specific way for our business, right? So we can mm-hmm. once we've acquired the domain knowledge to figure out how to do it, we can basically encapsulate it uh in in simpler calls that are not soap. And it may may sound insane, but um, basically, we built a REST API in front of this thing that then makes SOAP calls. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. uh, so we I kind of th- sort of compare it to like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Adobe uh, Photoshop and, and Elements, you know, where Photoshop is like the super powerful thing and it takes you like a really long time to become really good at it because there's just so many freaking levers, right? But once you do that, you you can make incredible things. But if you're not, if you don't have that time and you use like something like Elements, which basically just <clears throat> consolidates a bunch of those levers under the covers into simpler ones, then you can do almost as good things. Um, at least considering the amount of effort you put in, it's, it's quite amazing. So what we decided is we'd build this, this REST uh, API in front of it. And I think I've talked about this before, but I basically have it using JSON API and um, it's really um, working very nicely. But what we are also sort of dealing with is that we we're growing really fast and in order to like there's always this this decision you have to make right when you're either prototyping or if you have to build something in a very short amount of time do you do it sort of the quick and dirty way and get it to work or do you spend a little more time and maybe you know put some additional abstractions in there so you have you know the ability to reuse code um, in other instances or for other applications, right? And the way I now figured out, or, or one of the solutions I have, and the thing that I tinkered with is basically um, to basically build an SDK for our ERP that is specific to our business. And it's it's really neat how it's like in a in a in sort of a fluid interface. I can basically say, you know, uh, instantiate a client and then tell it, hey, I need to talk to, um, I don't know, customer deposits or something like that. And and basically, so under the hood, I can, I make calls to instantiate the actual client that has all the methods for customer deposit, for example. And because it's a fluid interface, meaning that I can just, you know, in, in PHP, it's like the arrow symbol to, to get to the methods. Um, and I have like... Uh, uh, IntelliSense in my IDE, 
I can very easily build a nice interface that exposes all the parameters that are needed in order to make a REST call without actually having to build the payload, right? So the user of this never really has to do any of the HTTP junk of building query strings or building um, response or request bodies. I mean, um, you can just mm -hmm. basically write code against it. Now the question is, okay, so th that takes a lot more time, right, to build something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm trying to find out where the line is where that's okay to do and where it just makes no sense. Because if I have, we have like three pretty substantial apps now that talk to this and only one of them the last one is basically using the um this api gateway the others basically talk directly to soap but i want to have those refactored to talk to the gateway as well so basically we have all of our you know access to the system go through one unified place and then everybody can sort of make use of common code bases instead of every app developer going off and doing his own thing and you know, writing potentially the same code over and over again. And um, so the question is, or, or the, the journey I'm on now, I guess, is to figure out how can I determine if putting this extra effort in to make, to like hide or abstract away, uh, even talking to an API this way, mm -hmm. that that makes sense and, and is sort of justifiable to put the, the extra time in. Or to just say, hey, you know what, just build your own thing. Fig go and read the API docs and figure out how you, um, you know, deal with error conditions and how you build the request body, how you make the query string, and then mm -hmm. parse that thing out into whatever you need, right? Because that right. basically means every developer that wants to consume this endpoint has to go through all this work every time. And you have to mm -hmm. deal with you know, all the error conditions instead of having everything sort of tied up in a nice um, package where it does that for you and you can basically have completely predictable, um, you know, responses that say, I can talk to all these things the exact same way and I always get mm -hmm. back the exact same thing and now, you know, the barrier to entry and the speed of development, once you get over that hump of building that thing, is amazing. Yeah. But the question yeah. is, will that ever pan out, right? <laughs> right. So, I mean, so, okay. Um, the big question is, um, so the way that I would think about it is, uh, what's the ROI, right? Yeah, like, what's exactly. the return on investment for this? Mm -hmm. So, um, if more than one developer is going to have to interface with this API, then, like, there's a point at which, and maybe it's literally more than one, like if it's two developers, then it's worth it, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it takes so much time and effort to build this thing in the first place that it's like, forget it. Um, I can tell you, uh, I can tell you two stories. Um, so one is um, at NPM, we have a uh, user access control layer, right? We call it the user ACL. Mm-hmm. And um, it basically talks directly to, um, it's, it's basically, a, it, it's, it's an API on top of a database um, that we can use to like, you know, find out, okay, how is this, like, 
uh, what users have access to which packages and um, which users are part of which orgs and all that stuff, right? Just a general, like, are you logged in? Do you have permission to see this package? All Mm -hmm. that stuff goes through the user ACL. Um, And like the user ACL in and of itself isn't really that bad. It's, it's, it's an API on top of, um, it's a REST API on top of a, um, uh, a database. So uh, already any service that needs to talk to the user ACL doesn't have to talk to the database itself, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just kind of that, that I think is, is well known, uh, software development. Like don't talk directly to the database. That's just kind of gross. Um, but then we also ended up creating the user ACL client, um, which is a client on top of that service, mm-hmm. uh, on top of the ACL service, uh, because there were a bunch of things that we ended up doing in combination a lot, right? So like when you're adding a new user to an organization, you need to uh, check to see if the, the user is allowed to see the organization. You need to check this and you need to check that and you need to like do all these different things. And so it just makes sense to have a client that does all those things for you over and over and over again. And then we use that module, like we use the client module to basically say, you know, user ACL client dot add member, open paren, uh, member name, comma, team name, or org name, you know, close paren dot then, you know, like that whole thing. Like it's just really, really nice and easy. Um, so it made a lot of sense, but that's a service that we use constantly, right? Right. Like every single, um, every single service at NPM that like the CLI, the website, um, the search, even like everybody has to use, has to talk to the user ACL. So you might as well have that, Mm -hmm. um, that library that makes sense. The ROI for that was immediate. Like as soon as it was built, it was like, well, obviously everybody should be using this. A less obvious one was our support situation. So our support team often, like people are constantly emailing our support team, asking for help on whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, user requests vary from, I'm having trouble logging in to which module should I use? You know, and like all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't answer the which module you should use, <laughs> by the way. That's called asking us to do your homework for you. Do your own homework. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that aside... Um, but like support team also needed access to the user ACL. Um, and so they would be like, well, you know, especially when we created the, the free orgs, um, and, and when we created orgs in the first place, people were constantly like, oh no, I created a user instead of an org. I need to transfer my user into an org, but I already created some packages as the user. And then like, there was just this whole thing where like Uh, they could end up in like a really weird state. And so what often ended up happening was at least at first, um, the support team. So we have a, a, a thing called the support hero. Um, so every week a member of a member or two of various teams will kind of be the support buddy. Um, and, and so like if supports like, Hey, a user is in a really messed up state, then the support hero. So the engineer had to go in and like update the, update the whole system. And so they would like talk to the database directly, which is dangerous, or they would do this or do they would do that. Um, and so we created a, a Slack bot that enabled support to be able to kind of like automatically do certain things, nice. uh, which was really, really nice um, because it like 
after like three or four, 10 times, it just made more sense for one engineer to just write a function that would enable the support team to just run it themselves. Um, And so the ROI on that one was not quite as obvious, um, but the fact that there were enough things that people had to do over and over again um, and that there was an automated way to do it, an easier way to do it, a better interface for it made sense. So for you, I would say, think about it. Will there be even one other person needing to talk to the, the SOAP API? And if so, then chances are that the time that it will take for them to read through all the docs to learn all the stuff that you learned, like, like make sure you add that time into like how long will it take them to, to build their own thing versus how long will it take you knowing what you know now, can you create a system that is easier to learn faster to learn than having to go through the documentation to work with the SOAP API directly? Um, No, that's, that's definitely, you know, the, the case. The, yeah. the other consideration there I have is like, okay, if you abstract it all away, because what we're trying to get away from is basically having information silos, you know, where where certain few developers are isolated to very specific things and all the knowledge is in their head or in, in their project and they are the expert on this thing. And, you know, then that's this whole bus factor thing. Um, so if you if you have these experts then create an abstraction layer that no longer requires anyone else to basically learn this, then you're sort of perpetuating that though, right? Because you're locking Mm -hmm. it up even more. So I don't know. I I guess I just have to get multiple people on the team that maintain and build the API and see if I can, you know, justify that to, 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 to be developed as its its own standalone thing because mm-hmm. it would be so nice if it was just a you know it's the equivalent of an npm package it's basically a composer mm-hmm. package a private composer package yeah. that we just you just say you know composer require boom it's installed now you can talk to the erp done yes you know, like damn it, it just <laughs> makes it makes more sense you yeah. know and like um having a group of people who can maintain it and not just one person maintaining mm-hmm. it you know that's really important to have a group means that when somebody comes in and says oh, shoot, this is way too abstracted out. I need to understand this a little bit better. I need to be able to do more things. Then the team can say, oh, we can build that, Yeah. right? Um, but at the same time, like, I, I personally think that abstraction is good. Um, I know I am not, like, not everybody feels this way. <laughs> there are a lot of people in the world who are like, abstraction is bad because you can't fully understand the system. And I'm like... Yeah. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I the other thing, right? Is that's really... that's a, yeah. actually a really valid point, especially in this particular thing. If you just interact with something via a, a code interface um, or, you know, a bunch of classes and you mm-hmm. don't understand what's happening in the background, you might make some bad decisions as far as, you know, performance things mm-hmm. go because you don't understand the inner workings. But I guess that that's something that you'd have to just mitigate with uh, code review, you know, to say, mm-hmm. hey, the expert needs to come in and teach these people what's going on to to a level that is good enough so they don't don't basically do these kinds of things that would either not be performant or do the wrong thing or you know bring the system down or whatever but um yeah Mm -hmm. so very very interesting it was really fun to just sort of tinker um with you know now almost a year and a half um Mm -hmm. 
gaining all this 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 insight into how this stuff works and then sort of pulling it all together and just doing a little proof of concept and then hopefully handing it off to someone else <laughs> to build so i will uh let you all know how that goes but um yeah so that was that was fun yeah. Hmm. yeah for sure um that's awesome though um yeah too bad we can't open source it that then then there would definitely be like a um you know, mm-hmm. that's an additional like plus, but um, it's it's too specific to what we do, and it wouldn't make sense. Even if we, you know, it's not proprietary, but it, it doesn't doesn't make sense. So mm-hmm. that'd be fun. You can get the developers exposed to that side of things too. Yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. Oh, and the other yeah. thing. So one one thing that um. I think we've talked about this, so maybe this is not not worth it. But um, basically, dealing with um, mixed teams, meaning you know, two campuses, some remote, completely remote. Basically, everything, everybody is remote, but some are more than others. Mm-hmm. Is proving to be extremely challenging um, to to do this well. And I've had a bunch of one on ones where people have basically, you know, told me that communication is a problem. And I'm trying to find ways to to get better at that. But it's like we've discussed in the past, I remember now, it's like it takes so much effort to mm-hmm. to create the water cooler moment. So yes. one one thing I'm thinking about is is to try to do more um sort of on site cross visits or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that I think I think you guys do too, right? Yeah. 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 We don't do it quite as often as I would like. Mm-hmm. But um because it's um, really complicated, right? I mean, you, yeah. well, you have, again, a lot more complicated because you have mm-hmm. even international people. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, when you have people that have families, you can't just say, hey, come over for a week. You know, no, yeah, it <laughs> just doesn't yeah. work, you know. Um, I mean, it's it works, but it's hard. And you mm-hmm. can't have. So anyway, um, that's one thing I'm sort of wrangling with. It's like how to do that well, yeah. because it's it causes um, unnecessary mm-hmm. problems. And, uh, yep. it's, I, you know, I don't want that to happen, but, uh, it's difficult. So, yeah. So, so, okay. Uh, recently at NPM, um, we have started transitioning from Google Hangouts to using a service called zoom. Uh-huh. Um, if, if like people who use zoom will agree with me on this. Zoom is amazing. Amazing. It's <laughs> zoom.us. Um, it is a paid product, but I have found that um, like the major game changer for me with Zoom. So Zoom is is just like Google Hangouts. It's it's a you know video chat sort of thing. You can also kind of do like chat rooms like with with text and stuff. But I, I don't even think you need any of that. Um, like to me, it's worth it just for the video chat ability alone. First of all, the it's cross platform. Um, at NPM, our engineers are using everything from Linux to Mac. Uh, we don't have any Windows users at the moment, um, but um, we do have both Linux and Mac users. And finding something that works for, for both groups is tricky, um, but Zoom works really well on both. The video quality on Zoom is like far better. Like People have been using hotel Wi-Fi and they have perfectly clear reception communication. Like It's just beautiful. Um, the real game changer for me though, was screen share. And um, 
when you when you screen share on Google Hangouts, uh, it's kind of janky to begin with. But um, with Zoom, I can screen share um, like when I'm screen sharing, I can still see the other person's face. What they'll do is they'll like put the camera view um, like you and the other person in like a corner and then you can show off the entire screen or you can see just the screen from the other person. It's so wonderful. It's a game changer for me because like you can see the other person's uh, facial expressions while also doing like just this really high uh, fidelity uh, image of whatever they're showing on their screen. But also I can connect my iPad Pro to my computer via USB and I can use my iPad as a whiteboard perfectly without wow. any crashing. It like it just works out of the box. With Google Hangouts, I had to turn on QuickTime and pretend I was recording the screen from my thing, or I had to use like Reflector app or whatever, which like only works if I'm working from home. Because when I'm at home or when I'm at work, then it like is thinking that I'm like it's just such a mess. It's such a huge, huge mess. Um, and it is like with Zoom, it is so nice and easy. This morning, um, so we do have. You, do yeah. you write on the iPad with just your finger or with a stylus or what do you? Um, I use the I use the Apple Pencil. Okay. Um, but like, so I use. Let me see. Let me tell you the app name. So basically, um, you you do like collaborative hand sketching, right? Yeah, I mean, well, so like, like not even I'm not even doing any anything collaborative. I'm literally just using uh, Adobe Sketch as like a whiteboard. Um, but just being able to, so like this morning, just this morning, we have a, a relatively new person at NPM, um, who is our tech writer and she wasn't totally familiar with like, uh, she worked at a bunch of companies, like what I'm going to call old school, um, types of technologies, um, where she would like write things in Microsoft word. And then, um, she would like put it in a database and then other people would pull it down or whatever. And so like, I was like, okay, well, we use Git, we use GitHub, and we write things in Markdown. And she was like, oh my goodness, like, what is what is all this stuff? I mean, she's no dummy. She just had never been exposed to it. Yeah. So I like, I like, she was working from home. I'm working from home today. I was able to just kind of just start drawing pictures and like doing what we would do at a whiteboard in person, but me just kind of sharing like, okay, here's like a visual of what's going on and this is how this works and this is what we're gonna do. And oh, other game changer, Zoom lets you record. Huh. So she was able to record the entire thing that like I, of me like showing her all this stuff, which means that she can go back and she can like review what it is that I said and make sure that she hasn't lost anything. Um, and uh, and yeah, so it was really really nice. And like I was able to quickly transition from uh, using the whiteboard on the iPad to showing her on the command line, okay, here's how, like, this is what get push and get status and get all of this other stuff, right? And just kind of show her all these things and be like, you know, you know how this works, you just haven't heard the terminology mm-hmm. in school way of doing things, so let's do that. Um, and it was, it honestly felt like we were in the same room, except, like, better, because we could, like, she could record it yeah. and could like that's interesting so so whatever happened to screen hero remember didn't they get like bought out by slack and then it was integrated and never launched and like what's Um, going on it's still in slack it's still part of slack 
Um, but we have found that Screen Hero was just kind of um, so Screen Hero for pairing is really nice because um, you can take over someone else's computer. Right, that's right? what I still do. It's like when I have a pairing session, I don't do Hangouts. I just do Screen Hero. Right. Yeah. The problem though was that Screen Hero does not work for Linux users. Oh. So that was kind of the big issue for us. And then also that Screen Hero fell over with I think three people in a in a chat, in a video chat. So like it just it wasn't it able to handle many people. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, exactly. So now we have like we're we're playing with Zoom, and it's a lot easier because you know we can we can do more with it. <laughs> yeah, I need to I need to look into that iPad uh, solution because I found myself like, this is ridiculous, but it's like I would be in a in a session and close my laptop just a little bit so the camera's facing down and be scribbling on a notepad, you know. <laughs> so the camera records that which of course is, is moronic but it you know it did the job for the, at the moment. But it's like nah, this is not a great way to work <laughs> so, yeah no yeah. i found that that like um especially when we're doing retrospectives across uh you know for our entire distributed team like if i use the ipad um as the like as the whiteboard, then everybody can pay attention and can compl- and can like be part of it mm-hmm. without it feeling like there are like the worst thing in a distributed team is when the people who are remote feel like second class citizens because yep. they're not in the room. Exactly. And and that is the hardest thing. Yep. I know some companies, um, Trello is one of them actually. Um, the way that they do it is if there's even one remote person everybody has to log in on their individual computers in various offices. Like Mm -hmm. there's just no group. Yeah. I thought of doing that because it's, we've had this sort of ad hoc meetings happen where then Mm -hmm. one person is either left out or they can't see the whiteboard or they can't see the people. And we have a whole bunch of new things starting up now where we, there is going to be a lot of whiteboarding and it needs to happen between offices and between, you know, Mm -hmm. remote people and, I just don't have, this sounds like a decent, decent solution. So maybe I'll, I'll look into that. Yeah. Take a look, um, play around with it. It, mm. it could be pretty good. Um, the, uh, with regards to the second, like, so the only thing though, is that if a companies that start out as all a hundred percent local and then try to, uh, integrate having more remote folks, it's a pretty huge change to go from like, like especially like for example at npm we can't do that we can't we can't do the everybody is remote mm-hmm. um, thing all the time because like we built our office such that we would have right. only five rooms right yeah. like so like our office isn't big enough for every single person to have their own room um, and it's also it's also too big um, but like so it's it's just weird right like because like we created these big rooms so that people could have ad hoc meetings mm-hmm. and so not enabling that is kind of a waste of space. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it sense. changes the company culture. So mm-hmm. it's tricky. Um, if you're starting a company and want to be remote first, then that's a good, you know, everybody's just always by default remote. It's cool. Um, uh, but that's not always easy. So it's, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Teams are hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, good challenges. Uh, 
Yeah. I think we're almost it, at the end. Yeah. Yep. I think it's time to wrap up a little bit. Right. Um, but I think we've had some new folks recently. Um, and I want to make sure we give them shout outs. Um, but uh, I don't know if we said welcome to uh, Abdel Hafid. I'm gonna. I'm sorry if I messed up your name, uh, El Kadiri. Like that, you know. Welcome to, um, and also Persaud Armil, uh, or Daryl Pargetter, Pargeter. Oh man, names are hard. Names are tough. Uh, wow. I know. Like <laughs> ah. Um. But anyway, welcome to both of y'all. Um. I think we said hello to Var James recently yes i think we did um that was back in august so uh um james if we messed that up then oops um (laughs) but i don't think we did um so anyway welcome to all the cool people in our slack channel um y'all should totally come hang out we're really friendly and we talk about cool things also you get to hear about things like npm turned on two-factor off like before anybody else Game before the podcast. Um, <laughs> Instant notifications. Wow. <laughs> Instant notifications. Oh my goodness. Um, and uh, yeah, so you can totally join us on our Slack channel by hitting up our show notes, which you can find at reactive.audio. That's right. And uh, if you like the show, let us know about it by leaving us a review or just a rating. That would be fantastic and would help others to find our little show. Um, I'm H. Glattergots on Twitter, and uh, that's it for this week. Yeah, and uh, you can reach out to Khalil. Uh, he's at Khalil Tweets on Twitter. Um, you can reach out to all of us at ReactivePod, also on Twitter. And uh, if you feel the need to say anything to me on Twitter, I'm Rockbot. Um, but, you know, I'm never on there anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just retweet really cute dog pictures. There you go. (laughs) So um, if you want to see cute dog pictures, go ahead and follow me. That's really great. Uh, But anyway, until next time, my friends, uh, you know, react on. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.